If you have your Bibles, may I encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We were there last week, Sunday, and may I encourage you to take out your phones if you don't have that and go to your app, bring that up. There's nothing wrong with that as well as we go through it. May I encourage you to follow along with me, making sure that I open up Scripture properly to you. We've been working through transitioning well, closure, what's that look like, what does God want, what is his will, how do we know his will, how do we follow his will. I've been wrapping up last Sunday and I want to wrap up this Sunday and talk about faith and victory because it all comes down to that. It all comes down to the rubber hitting the road, so to speak. May I encourage you to come. Uh, when I come back, I'm going to be away here next Sunday. May I encourage you to come. We have a really great guest speaker. Uh, so come and hear him open up the word of the Lord as well. When I come back, though, March and April and May, we are going to start working on forgiveness and confession and reconciliation. And what does that look like? And what does that mean? And we have so much hate and so much anger in our world and and we even saw a demonstration of that this week again with a parade and a shooting and and people being injured and killed and how does that affect us and what does that mean for us as a church body and so may i encourage you to come may i encourage you to invite your friends for that as well may i also encourage you to come uh, this week tuesday we have a congregational information meeting once a month where I share and where uh, new things are being exposed to you and bringing out to you and questions and answers. And so may I encourage you to come Tuesday night at 6.30 as we continue to walk our journey together. For those of you that are new, I'm the transitional pastor. I started in September and the Lord has just been blessing me and it's been an honor to be able to work with you and serve with you and live amongst you and uh, move and get to know you and visit you. I've had some awesome visits, and I want to thank you for that. We live in a society where winning is everything. Everything in our society is success-orientated. Even the church has acquired the success syndrome. One religious leader in my reading, says that what we need is to think positively. While another maintains, you just need to claim the wealth that God wants you to have. And yet another declares that something good is going to happen to you. All these ignore the principle that there's a difference between spiritual success and material success. There's a difference between being deemed a success by the world and deemed a success by God. And this morning, as we get back into Hebrews, I want us to take a look at that. We're going to be in the latter part of Hebrews as we do. I want to conclude this series, as I said, by looking at this passage. Two Sundays ago, so last Sunday we had the missionaries uh, that went to Mexico speaking. 
Two Sundays ago, we saw from Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 9, how true faith involves a willingness to obey, a willingness to wait, and a willingness to sacrifice. And we saw that when we opened up the first few verses of chapter 11. And this morning, in the author's summary of his great Heroes of Faith chapter of fame, he gives two great principles of faith. Principles, I believe, that we can apply and think about and meditate on in our lives. This morning, we're going to see two great victories of faith and the enduring virtue of faith. So let us begin. Chapter 11, verse 32. Thirty-two to thirty-five. Let me just read. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, whom through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions? quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. In verse 32, it's as if the writer realizes that there's a time constraint that will not allow him to continue in detail account of all the heroic episodes of faith. He says, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you, and he lists those characters. He has now confined himself to six additional figures here. Who span, whose lives span from the time of judges through the monarchy and ends with the inclusion of the prophets. These men who are mentioned are intended to be suggestive of a host of men and women who live for God in a hostile world. Not much different than where we're living today. First we see Gideon. Gideon was the first listed. It's a powerful example of faith in that he had 300 selected men and they defeated the Mennonite army with torches and empty jugs. Read that story, Judges chapter 7, 7 through 25. Powerful story powerful example of faith not a sword was lifted and how God moved the second name we see is Barak when the judges ruled Israel was a mighty leader military leader who along with Deborah led Israel to defeat the Canaanites 
Powerful story again. May I encourage you to read it in Judges chapter 4, 8 through 10. Then there's Samson. Samson is usually remembered for his great strength, not his faith. And yet, despite his weaknesses, he was a great champion of Israel during the period of Philistine opposition. And you'll see that in Judges chapter 13. 1 through 16 there, all the way through chapter 16, if you read that, what a powerful story. Then you have the next person that the writer points out, Jehoshaphat. He's often remembered for his foolish vow. He placed his faith in God, and then he relied on his power to overcome the Ammonites. Again, it speaks, and the writer is pointing out. And then there's Samuel. Pardon me, David. A man who did not, who could and did make tragic mistakes. He was first and foremost a man of faith. David even is called a man after God's own heart because of his faith and his desire to do God's will. And then there's Samuel. He was the first of the prophets. He was the last of the judges. He started as a young boy, and he continued through his life serving God. There might be another slide there in that. The prophets who remained unnamed, except for Samuel, all served God cheerfully, courageously, confidently accepted God's commands and faced whatever opposition came along the way. In verse 33, after the writer pours this out, in verse 33, the writer now in, in details some of what he had been able to do through faith. These prophets, listen to this. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. Who's he talking about there, kids? Who stopped the lion's mouth? Very good. Quenched the violence of fire. Who escaped fire, kids? What's their names? Three of them. Very good. Very good. So here's what we see from verse 33. Here's what we see from these men, these people that were brought out by this writer. Here's the first thing. We see the rather broad overview of the results of these believers' faith. They saw political victory. They achieved moral success in government as they worked righteousness. They achieved spiritual reward as they obtained promises of God. 
as they receive the words promised from God. Here's the second thing that we see from the writer here. These believers also saw various forms of personal deliverance. Those who stopped the mouth of lions seems to be an obvious reference to Daniel who was thrown into the lion's den and overnight didn't have a scratch on him. Not a bite. Many of the prophets, including Elisha and Elijah, Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah, escaped the edge of the sword. Successes such as David's defeat of Goliath with the sling and Gideon's victory over the Mennonites demonstrate that out of weakness, they were made strong. The Old Testament contains many examples of groups who became vigilant in battle, who turned to fight armies knowing that they were outnumbered. But then the writer switches. And he says this, the faith of God's people could boast of spectacular events and achievements and raising the dead to life is no less inspiring than the willingness to endure others that endured horrible torture and cruel death. And we see the enduring virtues of faith in verses 35 and 40. Take a look at this. The last part of verse 35. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced years and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that not only together with us would they be made perfect. The description of the accomplishments in a few verses that we read earlier is much different than what we just read now. And the word others we notice there's a shift. Something very important. The transition that we see here is that not all men and women of faith experience miraculous de deliverance. First part of the story, they, they did. 
Second part, some did not. Some of them were tortured. Some of them died. The Greek word for tortured literally means to beat as a drum. Some commentators believe that this refers to Alzir, who was stretched out on a drum and beaten to death. Others were not physically, only physically tortured, but they had to endure mocking of those who hated them. If verses 33 to 35 sounded like a dream, these last verses sound like a nightmare. And many of us can identify with the last part of this text. We feel that we are living a nightmare rather than a dream. Some of us are being mocked. None of us have been stretched out on a drum. None of us have been tortured in our midst here. We don't, be, we don't seem to be conquering kingdoms. Rather, evil seems to have its way with us. It seems like lions are devouring us. Fires are consuming us. Swords are cutting us to pieces. And when we look at these verses here, what distinguishes the people in the first half from the people in the last half is very interesting. Because some of them are the same people listed in both. Some saw wonderful victories, and at other times they endured defeat. The people in both parts are characterized by faith. For the writer says in verse 39, all of these had faith. So just because we get to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior does not mean that our life is going to be rosy. That everything is going to work out. That we're not going to have any more trials. That everything is going to be hunky-dory. These others had faith, as Scripture tells us here. But God did not see fit to deal with them in the same way he dealt with those who experienced victory. These unknown men and women of faith were not delivered from difficult circumstances, and yet God honors their faith. What a powerful message for us. And here it is. It takes more faith to endure than it does to accept escape. It takes more faith to go through those tough times. These believers 
that the writer's talking about are like the three young men in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their answer, when the king said, bow down to this idol, worship this idol, they said no. They knew they were going to be thrown into the fire. And if you go to Daniel chapter 3, and you look at verses 16 and 18, they answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. The King James Version would translate this, We are not careful to answer. It is the case. Our God we serve is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods nor worship the golden image that you have set up. What a powerful thing. For those of you that know that story, for those of you that don't, may I encourage you to read it. But they knew what was going to happen to them. One cannot help but think of the contrast these verses draw with the health and wealth philosophy taught by some today. This philosophy says that God wants all of us to be healthy and wealthy. And according to this view, the only reason for you not experiencing it is because you do not claim it as faith. Following in the portion of the chapter emphasizing the exciting victories of faith, it also mentions that some escaped the edge of the sword in verse 34. And yet, in verse 37, it states that one of the hardships of faith was that some were slain, slayed by the sword. Although Elijah escaped the vengeance of Jezebel, other prophets of the same period were slain, slain, they were killed. You see that in 1 Kings chapter 19. Jeremiah's life was delivered from the king, but his fellow prophets were killed by the sword. And Uriah was killed by the sword and he was cast into a common grave and you see that in, in Jeremiah chapter 26. By faith one lived and by faith another died. Although the world held these men and women of faith in low esteem, That is not the estimation of God. God said of them that of those of whom the world was not worthy. The world wasn't worthy of them. It says that they did not accept deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Now you might think, how can the death of a martyr be a better resurrection? Better than what? The answer is remembering the previous context of the first part of the verses. If you look at it, it says there that some of the women had their children come back to life. They saw their sons who were stored to life by Elijah and Elisha. And in due course, they had to die again. Verse 39 reminds us, and all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. The whole succession of men and women of faith, both named and unnamed, provided a good testimony. A testimony that their faith, rather than being extinguished by severe testing and oppression, prevailed and thus proved the genuineness of their faith. What a powerful message for us today. For those of us that are going through tough times, for those of us that are wrestling with different issues in our life, mentally, emotionally, physically, they persevered in faith, knowing that Faith's reward is not always given now. John Piper, one of the authors that I like reading, says this, The common future of faith that escapes suffering and faith that endures suffering is both. Is this, both of them involve believing God himself is better than what life can give you now and is better than what death can take from you later. When you have it all, faith says that God is better, and when you lose it all, faith says that God is better. What faith believes in the moment of torture, that if God loved me, he would, not, he would, get, he would get out of this. No, faith believes that there is a kind of resurrection for believers which is better than the miracle, miracle of escape. It's better than the kind of resurrection experienced by the widow's son who returned to death, who turned to life to die later again. Here's a modern day example of one who had this kind of faith Many of you might even have read his books, Dietrich Bonhoeffner. Dietrich Bonhoeffner, he left his prestigious position as a professor at the University of Berlin, and he joined the ranks of those who stood against Hitler and the Nazis. And the professor of systematic theology said, that Bonhoeffner was foolish, saying, It is great pity that our best hope in the faculty is being wasted on the church struggle. 
God chose Bonhoeffner's route to that of the saints in the second half of Hebrews 11. He was arrested, Bonhoeffner was. He was imprisoned. He was eventually hung in a concentration camp. His body was tossed aside in a pile of corpse and burned. His death came only two days after the Americans liberated this camp. And as he faced the flurry, Bonhoeffner says this, the ultimate responsible question is not how how can I heroically make the best of a bad situation, but rather how the coming generation can enable, be enabled to live. How can we go on? In verse 40, as the author concludes his list of heroes, he says this, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Here's what he's saying. Use the word perfect here, it means complete. He's saying that the story, God's great story of faith, is not complete without you. That's what he's saying. We are part of God's story of faith. The first two verses of chapter 12 point that out. Apply this principle. Let's take a quick moment just to look at them real fast here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat, right, sat down at the right hand of God, throne of God. The testimonies of these witnesses is that all believers can finish the race. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you go through rough times, as we go through difficult times. And that through faith, all believers can accomplish great things for God. We can accomplish great things for God. Like runners, believers are encouraged not to look back, but fix their attention on Jesus, who's the author And that word author literally means pioneer and the finisher of our faith. We don't need to look behind. We need to look forward. Here's the conclusion as we wrap up. A life of faith is not something reserved for a few. It's not reserved for pastor like myself or elders or deacons 
or those that are serving the elite, elite saints. No, no. The life of faith is for you. The life of faith is possible to all kinds of believers, all kinds of situations. The life of faith is possible to all God's children. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even you as a young child, this was powerful when my folks taught me this. There was times when I didn't have monies. We didn't have monies to buy things like clothes. I remember this well. I was only young, 13. Mom and I went shopping for a coat. We knew how much it cost. We went home. Mom says, now let's pray about that. And in those days, there were slots in the doors where mail would come through. Later on in that week, there was a mail envelope driven, dropped in that had exactly the same amount of monies needed to buy that coat. See, faith is for all of us because God is the perfecter of our faith. As we move forward in this journey, my encouragement is let's put our faith and trust and our focus on God. Let me just close with prayer. As I call up the worship team, and the elders, if you wouldn't mind coming forward as well, that would be great. Lord, thank you. Thank you for how you are working in our midst. Thank you for your word. Thank you. That you are the author and perfecter of our faith. In whom we will trust. May we put our faith and trust in you. Lord, thank you. Pray and ask things in your name.